0: where we are in uh, message number six. Uh, We have one more message after this in the Approachable series as we talk about either questions Jesus was asked or questions that Jesus asked other people. We're going to deal with a question about doubt today in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. And we're going to talk about the subject, why did you doubt? Charles Deem said believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Do not make the mistake of doubting your beliefs and believing your doubts. Now this story that we're going to look at we actually have looked at in uh, the Servant King series through the Gospel of Mark. But Matthew is the only one that includes this element of Peter walking on the water in this account of the storm. And so I want to pick up in Matthew's gospel in chapter 14 and verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is, I mean, the dead darkness of night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly the Son of God. Now, as we've talked through the years and through the Gospels and about the Sea of Galilee Storms come up in this area without warning. Uh, Because it's in a bowl, because it's uh, below sea level, because of the mountains that surround it, winds can swoop down and produce some severe storms on this sea, or rather a lake in Galilee. And so a storm is nothing new. These disciples would have been familiar with storms, especially the fishermen. But even those that weren't fishermen would have known that storms come up and they're dangerous, they come up quickly, they can end quickly. And so they would have understood the danger of it. But you have to remember that storms are also a part of life in general, not just physical storms like wind and rain. They're a part of life. I mean, if you live long enough, you're going to go through a storm or multiple storms. None of us are immune from them. So the thing that you need to remember is storms are a part of life. If anyone tells you that following Christ means you'll never go through a storm, they're not being honest with you. Secondly, some folks never learn in the storm. Have you ever noticed that people go through a crisis and they they may cry out to God, but then when the storm's over, they kind of slide right back into their old way of living. They never learn the lesson of the storm. And it's important that when you're in the storm, you ask God to teach you what you need to learn so that you are prepared for the next storm that comes up. You've learned a lesson on trusting God in the middle of that storm. Thirdly, some lessons are only learned in storms. There are things that you cannot learn on a calm sea. There are things you cannot learn on a, on a sunshiny day. The Storms are a part of life. So, First point is it's not how you start it's how you finish sometimes we think oh that guy got off to a great start but he didn't finish now we know from the life of Peter that this is a storm that he failed at one point in this storm but that he finished well it is important for us to remember that they're coming off of a miracle the feeding of the masses And they're also coming off their first real preaching tour on their own without Jesus. Public opinion of Jesus is running high. I mean, people are following him by the thousands. Everywhere he goes, he's attracting crowds. People are being healed. Lives are being changed. He's multiplying the loaves and fish. He's taking care of people at the point of their need. John chapter 6 tells us that the people were ready to make Jesus king. This goes back to that idea that when Messiah came, he would be a political leader, he would be a military leader, he would sit on the throne of David, and he would squash all the enemies of Israel. And, And the people are thinking, this guy is so good, we've never heard anybody like him, we've never seen anybody like him, He's got to be the guy, and we're on the cusp of getting out from Roman bondage. You know, it's easy to follow Jesus when he's providing all your meals. It's easy to follow Jesus when you can just touch him and be healed. But the question comes when pressure comes and when storms come into our lives, will we follow Jesus? Will we stay with him through the storm? Will we curse God or will we cry out to God? Will we believe God or will we doubt God? Ron Dunn uh, used to be asked quite often, you know, if he believed that, that America would, would go through persecution. And Ron's response at the time was, I, I really don't think so, because we're not the stuff of which martyrs are made. American Christianity has developed a false sense of what the Christian life and following Christ is all about. There are all kinds of preachers and teachers and books that will tell you that the Christian life is easy and you just got to try harder and do better and believe more and, and have more faith and you'll never get sick, you'll have all the money you want, you'll have everything you need, you'll never have a hiccup, your, your kids won't get sick, you won't have a prodigal. The only problem with is, is that life proves that's not true. Anybody that tells you that has not even looked around their neighborhood, much less looked at the world in which we live. So prior to this account of this storm, We've had the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the disciples said, you know, let's, let's send them away. They're not our problem. These people are not our problem. And Jesus, in fact, says, oh, yes, they are. And we're going to feed them. Now, this is not the end purpose, end all of Jesus' ministry. He does miracles. He performs marvelous things. But ultimately, he's going to the cross to die for our sin. And it was at the on the way to the cross that he begins to talk about discipleship. And people begin to kind of bail out because they like the food, they like the miracles, they like the crowd, they like the buzz. But talking about the cross was a different matter. And these disciples on this boat find themselves in a storm that is not of their own making right now here we are in America and we're in a storm that is not of our own making there's tension there's adversity there's the pandemic there's the economy I, I mean there's it, all kinds of storms going on and most likely you and I have done nothing to make those storms happen but they are happening now, it's important to know, is this storm because of my obedience, or is this storm because of my disobedience? Remember, Jonah got in a storm, and he was swallowed by a fish because he was running from God. Paul got in a storm, and it was shipwrecked because he was obeying God. These disciples find themselves in a storm because they're obeying God. He told them to get in a boat and go to the other side. The crowd wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to put him on their shoulders and march to Jerusalem and take over and take charge. And so Jesus sends the disciples away and he goes by himself up to the mountains to pray. Now, as I was studying this, I began to ask myself this question. Did Jesus know I think he did. Did Jesus know it was safer on a boat in a storm than being on the shore with a crowd that had the wrong motives? Was it safer to be out in the middle of the sea in a storm with Jesus praying than it was to hang around people who were giving the wrong signals and giving the wrong message about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Maybe Jesus sent them out in the boat. This is just my speculation. Maybe he sent them out in the boat to get them away from this crowd, from the public opinion, from the polls of the day, so that he could remind them that life following him was not always going to be easy. Maybe it was safer in the boat than on the shore with a crowd that was speaking to them in the wrong way. I mean, after all, this day began with a bang. You know, they've come back, they've been preaching, people are being saved, lives are being changed, demons are being cast out, people are being fed. But by the end of the day, it's a bust. It's gone from a bang to a bust. Leslie Flynn said the Christian life, is not a pleasant little canoe trip down some gently flowing stream, nor is it a perpetual picnic with the sun always shining bright and golden. This storm upset the status quo. It came without warning. They were battered, beaten by this storm. They had no Doppler radar. They had no alert on a cell phone. To tell them to seek cover immediately. They had no way of knowing this was coming. It was dark the middle of the night. They're in a small boat and the storm hits them. It's stressful. It's serious. Maybe they were disappointed. Have we followed Jesus and now we're in the middle of a storm? Surely following Jesus means We won't ever have to endure a storm because, after all, he's God. He could remove all the storms. I like what A.T. Pearson said. Disappointments are his appointments. God sends disappointments into our life as appointments to get us back on track. Now, storms can have two purposes. One, they can be correcting like pruning. Storms can correct us. It's like a parent disciplining their child. God disciplines his children, and so sometimes he sends a storm to make us seek him, to get us alone with him, to remind us of biblical priorities. He, he prunes us. He, he deals with areas of our life that are out of fellowship with him. Sometimes they're correcting, sometimes they're perfecting God is trying to perfect us in an area of faith where we won't doubt him, but believe him and take him at his word. He's teaching us to live by faith. Now, the one thing, we always talk about Peter sinking, but the one thing he did, he stepped out in faith. He took a step of faith. I I see this picture in and these other disciples, the other 11, are, are holding on for dear life and, and clinging to the side of the boat. And, and they may be uh, losing all the food they just ate because they're, they're seasick. But Peter makes a faith request Lord, if it's you, he saw Jesus on the water. They're all afraid. Peter's afraid. But Jesus says, Take courage, it's, it's me, don't be afraid. And the minute he says that, there's an immediate response from Peter to, to a faith request, an active faith. Here's what we need to remember. What you believe shapes your character and your conduct. So Peter knew enough about Jesus. Now remember, this is before you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter knew enough about Jesus that he knew he could trust in the character of Christ, and that impacted his character and impacted Peter's conduct. He's the only one who says, Jesus, let me get to you. At least in this moment... We we talk about Peter's failures, and we talk about him putting his foot in his mouth. But at least in this moment, Peter came to the conviction that with God, the impossible is possible. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, not only did Jesus inspire Peter's faith, he encouraged it with one word. Come. Just come. Come on. It is me. If it's you, command me to come on the water. Come. And Peter responded to the invitation, and he starts climbing out of the boat. Now, you've got to put yourself in this situation. And you've got to think that the other disciples are screaming at him and saying, Peter, you're out of your mind. You're going to drown. You're going to die. Get in the boat. You're crazy. And they're rowing and and holding on for dear life. and, And Peter's going over the edge. He's got one leg out of the boat. He's about to put the other one out. Somehow, Peter knew that God's invitation also brought God's enablement. That what God had invited him to do, God would enable him to do. The command was backed by the power of Jesus. So the question comes for us, do we believe that God can do what he invites us to do? Take any issue. Hey, trust me, try me, prove me, says the Lord. Take any issue, whether it's tithing or stepping out in faith or making a move or making career change or, or whatever, whatever you want to put in that category, do we believe that God can do what he invites us to do? He invites us to join him on a journey. Or as Henry Blackley says, find out where God's going and join him. Get with him. Better to be with Jesus on a journey than without him on a journey. Leave your safety nets. Now, you can discount Simon Peter and say, yeah, but he sunk. (laughs) Yeah, but he walked on water. Why? Because he took a step of faith and trust, and he triumphed at least in a moment or moments over the wind and the waves. But notice the second thing: in the storm, you can be distracted. So the question is, what is it that sinks you? you you've gotten out of your boat. You've left your safety net. You, you've believed God for what He's invited you to do, and and then you stumble and you fall and you fail. What is it that sinks you? What you started something, but 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 you didn't finish. What? What is it that caused you to sink? I would submit to you doubt, doubt, or a distraction. Something took away your undivided attention from Jesus. Warren Wiersbe says, It's one thing to have wet clothes and cold skin, both of which can be remedied. But it's quite something else to have a broken heart and a shattered life and be left floundering in the sea of life with no hope. It's one thing for Peter to sink. It's another thing to never get out of the boat, to never leave your comfort zone, to to never step out from what you know. You know, one of the greatest things Terry and I ever did in our lives was after... After we got married and after we finished college, we moved over 20 hours away. I mean, we left our safety net of my parents, of her parents, of familiarity in the neighbors, neighborhood where we lived, in the town where we had grown up. We left the comfort of, a, of an offer of a full scholarship to go to New Orleans Seminary and moved to the Midwest to go to school. We had to depend on God and we had to depend on each other. There were days when we had hardly any money to eat and God provided for us. There were days when our car wouldn't start and God provided for us. Those were some of the greatest days of our lives when we got out of our comfort zone and we trusted God. And the amazing thing about that is in those days, that's when we met Charlie Draper who became uh, my pastor in my first full-time church, that's where I met uh, Ron Dunn, where I met Miss Bertha Smith. Uh, those were days when God put people in my life that i if I had stayed in the comfortable boat, we may have never met those people. It changed the course of our lives. And we have never regretted it, that we made those decisions because of the doors that it opened for us. These disciples didn't recognize their own master. You know, sometimes God could call us and say, come. And we're sitting there saying, can't be Jesus. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But notice that Jesus doesn't leave us whining and crying. He speaks to our fear and calls us to courage. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water and he said come and Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus verse 30 but seeing the wind he became frightened now all of us would agree if you've ever been on a lake or if you've ever been on a sea or if you've ever been around the ocean walking on water is impossible You may can be in a boat on top of water. You may can be on a surfboard on top of water or jet ski on top of water, but you can't walk on water. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible. And it only happened for Peter because of a divine invitation and a divine intervention. Jesus called Peter out to attempt the impossible to get out of the boat, to not listen to the voices of fear. And by the way, that's the way the life of faith operates. We have to get out of what we feel comfortable with and do what God says. You know, we we have missionaries all around the world that are isolated right now. They can't come home because of travel restrictions. Some of them are in very dangerous situations, but you know why they're there? They're there out of obedience. They obeyed God. They got out of the boat. They stayed away from the comfort of American Christianity and the American church. They went and learned another language. They may have moved and learned a second foreign language. And They got out of their boat. They got out of their safety net. And if you and I are going to walk with Jesus, we can't do that walk in the flesh, we need the divine intervention of the power of the Holy Spirit that is only available to those who believe that it's there. You could know up here that it's there, but until you act on it and I act on it, it's just head knowledge. Peter was distracted by the circumstances. He saw the wind. Now, you don't see wind, You see the effects of wind. When water starts white capping, that's the effect of wind. You're not seeing the wind. You're seeing the effect of wind. When when trees start swaying, you're seeing the effect of the wind. He saw the wind and was afraid. So he got distracted by the circumstances of the moment. Then he became paralyzed by fear. He saw the wind and he became afraid. He saw what he couldn't see and became fearful and took his eyes off what he could see. And that was Jesus who had called him to come to him. I love the Amplified Bible here. It says, but when he perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened. You see, if you know you're walking in the will of God, winds are going to come. Waves are going to come. It's important that you not let fear paralyze you and keep walking by faith. Every church and every Christian that goes through persecution has to know that they're in the will of God or they will cave and they will quit. If you find yourself in a storm, look beyond the circumstances or you're going to doubt the Lord and you'll even doubt yourself. You'll start asking yourself questions. You'll start talking to yourself and you won't like the things you're saying to yourself. And you'll get your eyes off Jesus. Peter took his eyes off Jesus. He began to focus on the storm. His faith buckled. Nothing had changed. Jesus is still on the water. He's still looking at him. He's calling him out. What has changed is fear has made him Sink. It rose up in his heart and it's causing him to sink. Can I tell you something? Fear can sink the best of saints. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. We can forget that God is able to make a way out of no way. We can forget that He's able to transform that which looks terrifying into a testimony. I think of people like Joni Erickson Tada, who's been paralyzed from the neck down since she was a teenager. And that terrifying event has turned into a testimony that has led to thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. You see, here's what we need to remember. On our own, we are not sufficient for the storm, but the Savior is. On my own, I can't deal with a storm. First of all, I probably won't even get out of the boat. But secondly, if I get out of the boat, I won't survive because I'll be focused on the storm and not on the Savior. You see, we're, I mean, hey, we're all like Simon Peter and the disciples. We easily forget what God has done. We need to remember so we don't forget, and we forget because we don't remember. You remember the disciples in, in the upper room? Jesus is making all these promises to them, He's praying for them. They're listening in on a prayer between God the Son and God the Father. He's saying, I go to prepare a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. And they get to the garden of Gethsemane, and they forget everything they learned in the upper room in a matter of hours. They forget it, and they just take off running. Peter forgot to keep his eyes on Jesus. And so he follows Jesus to Caiaphas' house, and then he denies him three times. What did Jesus say? Say, Peter, you're going to deny me. Well, not me. I'm not going to deny you. And then he cowed down and caved in three times until the rooster crowed, just like Jesus had told him. Why did he deny him? He forgot what Jesus had said to him. When Jesus confronted Peter in John 21, after his failure, this is the restoration of Simon Peter. And he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. And then he told Peter in John 21, how he was going to die. And Peter's first response was he looked at the apostle John and he said, what about him? What are you going to ask him to do? How's he going to die? And Jesus basically said, that's none of your business. You follow me. You feed my sheep. You know, one of the reasons why storms cause us to sink is because we're always looking at other people wondering why they don't have the storms we have or why our storms seem to be worse than theirs. But can I tell you something? Some people go through storms that you never know about, and they're walking with Jesus. If you don't want to sink... Don't lose sight of Jesus. Before we jump on the dump on Peter bandwagon, don't we do the same thing? We're afraid of our peers, so we don't share our faith. We're afraid it will cost us in our company, so we don't stand up for our convictions. We're afraid to trust God with our tithe, and so we don't give to God. We're afraid to let Jesus be Lord, and so we isolate areas of our life and tell God, this is off limits to you. You can't get in my life and tell me what to do here. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What's impossible? Everything's impossible to please God without faith. Look at the last thing. In the storm, you must not doubt. Lord, save me. And immediately, jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him you of little faith why did you doubt so let me just give you a couple of thoughts here first of all faith is not wishful thinking faith is not hope so it's no so faith is not wishful thinking faith is not a hope so faith i know whom i have believed and i am convinced persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It's not hope. It's faith. I believe God can do what he says he can do. Faith is not having everything work out according to my plans. That's not faith. That's faith in me. That's believing that I'm in control, that I'm the captain of the ship, that I can control the storms, and I can't. Faith is not having everything work out according to your will. Doubt comes when we excuse sin and justify disobedience. Doubt comes. Remember, Jesus said, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt comes when we excuse sin or justify disobedience. Doubt grows when we focus on our problem instead of on Jesus. Why did he doubt? Because he lost faith, because he took his eyes off Jesus. He came to the point where he began to focus on the storm and he lost sight of the Savior. But the good news is, when he started sinking, he knew where to turn again. And he cried out to Jesus and Jesus intervened. I love, I love this right here. I know people that can pray for long times. I'm not one of those people that can pray for long times. Uh, Mine are sometimes more bullet prayers. This is a bullet prayer, a three-word prayer. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, show me. Lord, save me. A three-word prayer. I love what one preacher said. He said, I like the prayer. He's talking about Peter's prayer. I like the brevity of it. I like the intensity of it. When we have no burden, we can pray wordy prayers. But when we face a problem that is a matter of life and death, then we come to the point. Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't pray like the Pharisees who go on and on and on and on and on and think by their many words, they can change God's mind and get God's attention. What, What are the prayers that Jesus hears? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, today, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Lord, save me. I mean, Peter got to the point. Have you ever been in a meeting when somebody prayed and they just went on and on and they just kept circling and circling and repeating and repeating and repeating? Listen, if Peter had done that, he would have been dead at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee by the time he'd finished praying. Lord, save me. That's all Jesus needed to hear. By the way, that's how people can be saved. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, comfort me. Lord, help me. Lord, show me. Just short, simple prayer. Sometimes we need to shorten our public prayers and lengthen our private prayers. Warren Wiersbe, in the latter years of his life, wrote a, a little book on the life of Peter, which is a great book called Your Next Miracle. And in that book, he made a statement, a statement of faith that will encourage you in the storms of life. And I've got to tell you, he made five statements that quite honestly are the best summation of how to face a storm that I've ever seen anywhere. They're real quick. I'm going to give them to you. When you're in a storm, remember, first of all, he brought me here. He brought me here. Secondly, he is praying for me. Remember, Jesus was up on the mountain praying. He brought me here. He's praying for me. Thirdly, he will come to me. In that book, Wiersbe says, Peter was lifted up by the hand that put the stars in the sky and the earth on its axis, the hand that carved out the mountains and the seas. He brought me here. He's praying for me. He will come to me. Number four, he will help me grow. He'll deal with my doubt. And number five, he will see me through. So if you're going through a storm today, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Quit looking around. Quit looking at the storm. And just get out and get to Jesus. Because Jesus brought you to the storm. He's praying for you in the storm He will come to you in the storm. His Holy Spirit is in you in that storm. He will help you grow, and He will see you through. Father, I pray for people that are in a storm right now that are doubting if you care and if you see and if you know. And I thank you for the truths of Scripture that we can rely on and stand on, even when The winds are blowing and the waves are crashing against our lives. Thank you for seeing us through storms that we have been in in the past, that we are currently in, and that we may be in in the future because you are the Lord of the storm and you're the Lord of the calm. In Jesus' name, amen.